So today on Security Science, we're going to be talking about vulnerability management and providing a brief history. Thank you for joining Security Science. My name is Dan Mellinger. We also got Ed Bellis, the uh, father of risk-based vulnerability management today. So we want to do a nice talk about a brief history of vulnerability management, how it started, where we're going, and you know how we got there over time. So Ed, how are you doing today? I'm good, Dan. Excited to kick this thing off. Yeah. It's, you know, this is a really interesting topic because I was looking into some of the history and there seems to be a ton of gaps, right? There doesn't seem to be a clear history of kind of where we started and how we got there. So I kicked off with the CVE list, right? MITRE and their community effort to create a list of things we should really care about. So uh, it looks like the end of 1999, we had 194 entries. Now, what, 20 years later, we're tracking right around 136,000 just to kick things off there. Like, how do you even start breaking that stuff down? Well, I, I, I certainly miss those ignorance is bliss days of old. Um, in fact, you could even kind of predate it a little bit to some of the first vulnerability scanners that came out even pre the existence of, of CVEs, right? I think the first one I can recall and this is certainly going to age me a bit is, is Satan, which was an open source tool. Uh, for scanning vulnerabilities, I think Saint ultimately uh, was based off of Satan. What else was going on back then? Nessus, back when it was free and, and open source. Um, uh, these are all kind of mid to late 90s. And, and then, as you said, right, MITRE kind of came in uh, at the end of the decade in 99 uh, and started tracking vulnerabilities via CVEs. Um, and since then, we've seen an what I would call almost astronomical volume of CVEs as of late. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, well, just because something doesn't have a CVE doesn't mean that a vulnerability doesn't exist. That's actually really interesting that you're getting back into the Satan and Saint kind of open source scanning um, early Nessus. What were they looking for? How were, how were they identifying something that was, you know, kind of a risk to systems back then before CVE even existed? Yeah, I don't recall certainly the the full list of signatures uh, from something like uh, like Satan, but um, obviously, and even today, you see vulnerability scanners that are finding vulnerabilities that have nothing to do with the CVE, whether it be a vulnerability or even some sort of common misconfiguration, and you know, the checking systems hardening for different things, things like that. So you'll you'll often see that as part of the output of of any of these scanners as well. Um, I think when MITRE did ultimately come out with CVEs and that common language to kind of define and say, this is this particular vulnerability. And then, you know, ultimately you're able to standardize that across scanners. That was a, uh, a big win, I think, for practitioners. In fact, the, there's a lot of various standards, CVE being one of them, but ultimately kind of rolled up into that uh, SCAP or the security content automation protocol, I think is is what it was, which, you know, I think ultimately includes CPEs. Uh, I think CVSS was part of that, CWE, um, all of these different ways to kind of dictionary and describe things more commonly across the industry. A technical description of a vulnerability. Yep. Something that exists, how it takes it, how you could take advantage of it, all that good stuff. And while we're on definitions, um, probably helps us to define what does vulnerability management mean. So I'll just take a quick stab at that. You know, we're really talking about the process of 
ideally proactively identifying, tracking, prioritizing, and then going ahead and remediating security weaknesses and or flaws in IT systems, software. And the goal of that is to prevent malware outbreaks, you know, data theft, all the scary stuff you read in the newspapers and, you know, see all over the tech trade pubs all the time. Ed, you come from a practitioner's background, right? Back in the day when you were starting this, I, you know, I assume it was an important goal to try to proactively prevent things from happening. Can you walk through some of the processes back then? Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, if you kind of thought about it in stages, right, we talked really early on about the ignorance, ignorance is bliss stage of, you know, I don't even know where my vulnerabilities are. Regardless of scanners, you had teams of people or folks, usually uh, th back then it was more of you hired somebody to come in and maybe do a vulnerability assessment or a penetration test or some sort of security assessment on your infrastructure or applications. But ultimately, you got to a point where the industry started to evolve quite a bit. Um, you started to see more commercial offerings from vulnerability scanners. And, and again, I would still say at this point, it's not vulnerability management, it's more vulnerability assessment, right? Which is, where are my vulnerabilities? Can you, can you at least tell me where they are? And, you know, you saw the likes of, of the, the big three, Qualys, Tenable, and Rapid7, but there were others. ISS was around back then. You, you know, there was a number of vulnerability scanners on the commercial side that came up. And you started to see more of that. But still, even then... You were probably at best, you know, you see a lot of things like, oh, we did a quarterly assessment or a quarterly scan, or we hired a professional services team to come in. They might have did a pen test. And as part of that, they did also did a vulnerability assessment or scan or, or something like that. Um, but it was, you know, quarterly, maybe annually even, right? So even if uh, you had a, a large set of infrastructure, effectively, you then worked off of this list. And said, all right, we're going we're gonna to try and work this list down before next year's assessment, right? So you've got all kinds of time. So that's interesting. So you kind of start the process with uh, an assessment, basically, whatever that is. So uh, a scanner would be some kind of software, right? I'm assuming that automatically goes around and scans the infrastructure, tries to find these things. But ultimately, the goal is just the assessment piece, getting a list. So that, am I correct there? That, that's right. And at best, uh, what you were seeing in the early days is you, you, you had a list of vulnerabilities, uh, that what systems they affected, and maybe a high, medium, and low rating. Uh, CVSS did start, I, I don't recall actually the year that CVSS came out, but people were primarily just using uh, high, medium, low, red, yellow, green, maybe a scanner uh, assessment score of, of some sort, but it was really kind of rudimentary. I mean, what year roughly would you say? I mean, at, at this point, you're in the you're in the single digit 2000s, you know, like 2005 ish or something. Uh, you started to see a lot more of the commercial folks uh, make a go of it. How long were those lists? If just looking at, you know, the number of like reserved CVE mentions right back in the early 2000s, you're talking about less than 5K a year. Compare that to now we're at 18K a year. Like how, how big were these lists, even though we weren't discovering like a quarter of the vulnerabilities we are today? Yeah, yeah. So um, certainly much less to deal with back then than now. Uh, that said, you know, we're also talking about the difference between a definition of a vulnerability and an instance of a vulnerability. So I, I had that one CVE on 5,000 different systems. Effectively, I have 5,000 vulnerabilities, not one. So uh, I still have to deal with this list. And, and 
frankly, the patch management tooling back then was much more difficult to do. So if you actually did decide to do remediation, and by the way, I would, I would say at this point in time in the, in the early 2000s, the remediation piece was pretty rare. <laughs> there was a lot of vulnerability assessment. There was not much in the way of vulnerability management. I'm curious how many people would admit that back then. <laughs> uh, you know, we're kind of jumping now into more of the remediation or, you know, what do you do with these giant lists? I, I am curious, though, when we get back to the assessment side a little bit, you know, how accurate were these scans? Like, did you use multiple sources? You know, there was this kind of, you know, open yeah. source movement that still kind of exists today, but not, I don't think, quite as powerful as, you know, the big three, like you mentioned. So just give me, a, give us all a sense of, you know, did it work? Did, were you catching most things? Did you have good confidence in what yeah. you were getting out of these lists? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> okay. and, and part of that was just, you know, there's a limited number of signatures. Certainly there's a limited amount of awareness of the vulnerabilities, right? We have a lot more people trying to find vulnerabilities today than we did 15 years ago or so. Uh, and part of it was, you know, the, the users themselves, the lack of awareness. Hey, I, I would be willing to bet that the majority of all of the scanning that was going on at that time frame was all unauthenticated scans, which meant that you were getting false positives and false negatives as part of that. Right. So what's the difference between unauthenticated, authenticated, um, remote, internal, all that good stuff you have? access to something or you don't have access to something, right? So okay. um, an authenticated scan is I have credentials on the machine that I am actually scanning. So it logs into the machine. It's able to see a lot more things. It's able to see what's installed, what's running on it, what processes are running, all of that sort of thing that you wouldn't get from an unauthenticated scan where you're just hitting it across the network. And you're probably throwing some different types of requests at it to see what it returns. Um, and some of it is fuzzy. Some of it is, is uh, frankly, a little bit more guesswork than, than uh, you know, a legitimate. Uh, we know that this is certainly a vulnerability. So there's a lot of more. This might be a vulnerability on this machine versus we, we know that this is a vulnerability on the machine. Just the way it was described there, it seems like an authenticated scan would be the best route. Is there like pros and cons between doing both? Should you do both or should you pick one over the other? Or? Yeah, there's definitely Pros and cons, I would say there's a lot more pros for authenticated scan from a security or from a, how do you put it? Uh, oh, confidence in the output. Yeah, exactly. Um, there are some, there are many reasons why you might not want to do an authenticated scan, right? Or you've got uh, something where you're hitting it from the outside, you're hitting an external machine or there's a lot of, there's some comfort level around getting somebody to allow you to authenticate into the machine in order to do that. And in, in its sense, and, and you can also think of it as then the scanner itself could become a security hole itself, right? If it has permissions to do something on that machine, uh, if that scanner or that scanner machine is compromised, then theoretically, then you could compromise a whole lot of other machines as well. Huh. Okay. And then on the unauthenticated side of things, so what are some of the pros to that? I think the cons were kind of apparent to me. And you know, you can't get as much information, right? Not as much yeah. confidence in the data or, you get out of you, it. You might get just as much information or, or frankly, sometimes more, uh, but you could get some some bad information or at least certainly some fuzzy information, right? So it tends to, for the most part, not be as accurate. We're seeing a lot more authenticated scans these days than we did back then, 
but back then it was almost almost entirely i would imagine with the exception of some environments certainly in the, in the places where i worked uh there was a lot of unauthenticated scanning going on and and that even stepped into the later on as you start to see AppSec evolve, you had a lot of those same problems there too. That's also interesting. If you're doing an assessment, sometimes that could be someone you hired to do a pen test as well, right? Mm -hmm. Come out with the list. Okay. So we're still on the authentication slash understanding your footprint side of things. Uh, would you say that's improved over the years? It most definitely has, right? Um, and I, I think a lot of it's, it's funny to watch, you know, the industry, I uh, you know, we've been doing network security for a, a really long time and hence uh, infrastructure kind of followed around that. Right. And then later on, we saw AppSec start start to catch up and start to, to do more things on there. And you would you would see things evolve to where people started to feel certainly more confident. I would say they're not you know totally confident, but more confident in their infrastructure scanning than they would on their AppSec side. And then there would be the positives and negatives of authenticated versus unauthenticated. Uh, another way to think about it in the AppSec world is kind of dynamic versus static, right? You have, you have access to the source code, right? So theoretically, you should be able to find a lot more vulnerabilities. Uh, but you, tracing how that application works is, is a lot harder from the source code side, right? So you end up getting in a situation on the AppSec side where you might have more false negatives or you miss things from a dynamic perspective because it's more of from the outside in is, is a way to think about it. And just so everyone is following, we're talking about application security. Yep. Dynamic testing, static testing, those approaches basically. Yeah, to, to I mean, code ultimately, it's, it's, you can roll this all up into, wait, how do I find vulnerabilities? How do I prioritize vulnerabilities? How do I remediate vulnerabilities? Whether it on the operating system, whether it's on a, an off-the-shelf application that I've purchased and installed, or it's an application that I wrote myself. Um, so, you know, you, you get a lot of the balance and trade-offs that you see in AppSec now. We saw a lot of that on the infrastructure side very early on, and, and you start to see a little bit more maturity there. Gotcha. So, you know, on the kind of hardware operating system side, scanning has gotten pretty mature, basically. Mm -hmm. But we're saying we have pretty high confidence. We can see most things um, on on the infrastructure for the most part. There's, there's, you know, you'll, 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 if you ever say that in front of a security audience, I, I guarantee you'll get, you'll get some people that, that, that push back. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's, there is no perfect, right? There is no, I can't pick up any, certainly any automated scanner today and say, I will find all of the vulnerabilities or every vulnerability I find will be real. I think, yeah, that's one of the laws of cybersecurity, right? There's no, no certainty. <laughs> yeah, the, certainty does not okay. exist. Essentially, you're starting to see some, uh, similar market trends or, and or maturity of tooling on the application security side as you saw back in the day on the infrastructure scanning side in some ways it's it's completely different in some ways it's like aha yeah i remember this you know five six years ago and on the infrastructure side is now a problem here <laughs> well it's funny too that it's moving so fast that five or six years ago things are like almost completely changed honestly well, I mean, in a lot of ways geez when you start to think about the the cloud and you certainly start to think about way people work with Things like you know, using Ansible and Chef and Puppet or, or, or uh, Terraform or things like that. It's it's almost this, you know, it's one and the same, right? There's 
the infrastructure application, it's all kind of melding together. How does that work from a VM standpoint, right? Uh, uh, let's go with Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. AWS. Yeah, I mean, there's a million different ways that you can uh, assess your vulnerabilities right now. And you can still do all of the, you know, you could do a traditional scanning. Obviously, if you're in Amazon, you're not going to provision any sort of appliance there to do it. But uh, whether that's I'm going to drop an agent or something on an EC2 instance and do an authenticated scan via my agent, or I'm going to use some of the native tooling that Amazon or GCP or Azure offer today in terms of assessing my vulnerabilities. Um, there are other I've seen some new tools coming out that are more like side channel techniques where they're kind of plugging into APIs within AWS as an example to kind of assess not only vulnerabilities, but uh, oftentimes what you'll see is more on the, the misconfiguration side or, or understanding the, the hardening or lack thereof within your cloud environment as well. When we start to talk about, you know, essentially leasing infrastructure from another company, where does the responsibility lie? And in terms of like scanning and the vulnerability assessment side and AWS, you know, Google, Microsoft, they provide some tooling to do that today basically. And where does that split of responsibility go? Is it still on the end user? Yeah, it depends on when you say cloud, what you mean by cloud, right? So if you're talking about infrastructure as a service, that's going to be a shared responsibility model, right? Where you're typically the users are responsible for, you can think of it as operating system on up, hardware, environmentals, all of these things. That's, that's on Amazon, that's on Google, that's on Microsoft uh, to provide that. But, you know, if there is a vulnerability in the operating system that I'm running on an EC2 instance, that's my responsibility. Then you get up a little bit higher up, uh, you know, you could have like the platform as a service guys like Heroku or something like that, where there's a little bit more responsibility on Heroku and a little bit less responsibility on me to a SaaS where it's almost entirely on the SaaS provider, with the exception of I might have things where I have to manage users and authentication and different things like that. And then suddenly everything else, certainly all the vulnerabilities and stuff like that are associated uh, with the responsibility of the SaaS provider. Gotcha. And then if you develop, say, a web app on Azure or whatnot, then you would probably be responsible for pen testing and finding all the vulns and basically your own cloud-based app or whatever you created, right? Yeah. I mean, there's it, it, you certainly get into some really where uh, you start to meld a lot of different applications together. Uh, using APIs and whatnot, you might be responsible for a sub piece of that. And then you're making all sorts of calls to different services that are not or certainly outside of your purvey. Some new dynamics in play. Uh, we're getting a little bit better at app application security, scanning, testing, all that good stuff, but uh, still relatively early days there. Infrastructure scans, we can be relatively confident that if you have, uh, you know, one of the predominant solutions out there, you're going to get some good I guess, good lists of things to handle. So now we got a list of vulnerabilities. What, what's next, right? Yep, yep. And as, as you pointed out early on, right? So uh, the common, uh, using MITRE as an example of, of CVEs, and we've seen that list grow and expand over time. Um, one of the things that's, you know, as you mentioned, I think, what'd you say, 300 and some CVEs in, in the first year or something like that. Yeah, it launched with, I believe, 381 vulnerabilities at launch. And then the end of the year, 1999, was 894. 894 total CVEs. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 
And now what are we up to? 15, 16, 17,000 a year or something like that? Yeah. If you look at uh, reserved, it's right around 18K. Yeah. So uh, I think we're end of 2019. So 20 years, 1999 to 2019 went from... 894 entries in 99 to 136,051 at the end of 2019. And, and actually, from a security practitioner's point of view, for the most part, that is actually good news, not bad news. Um, and what I mean, it, it, it's not, it doesn't mean that we're getting more vulnerable. It means that we are doing a better job of identifying and tracking these vulnerabilities, right? Um, you know, the last three years, MITRE expanded their there are uh, the folks that the number of people, the, the, I think it's the numbering authorities or CNAs, certified number, uh, numbering authorities that can actually create new CVEs. So there's a bunch of different software vendors out there now that can create their own CVEs. And I think that will continue and we'll actually see more of that. So it's not like those vulnerabilities didn't exist before, but now we're, we're tracking and we know about them and we can create signatures for them and we can you know, start to understand remediation and patching and all of that. We have a higher number of CVEs that are being issued because we're, we're finding more. We're getting better at identifying that stuff. And you said the CNA Certificate Numbering Authority. That sounds right. Yes, <laughs> I know it's CNA. I always I always forget what the C is for. <laughs> um, so that essentially allows uh, software vendors like Microsoft and things like that to submit their own CVEs without going through you know a longer process with. Uh, That's Meyer. right, and and we're seeing more and more of that, and it's becoming. I mean, it's. In, in some ways, things are getting a lot better because there's a lot more time and, and attention and resources being spent on security. And some things that oh, are just it's the world is infinitely more complicated than it was 20 years ago. Right. We were talking about all this stuff with how, what cloud and containers and all of these things do to security. Even folks like GitHub are now a CNA. Right. So they can actually reserve their own CVEs and think of all of the repos and stuff that that and all of the software components and everything and all of the reused code that's out there that ultimately gets CVEs and gets attention and then hopefully gets bumped um, to, to remediate those. That's, that's, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. So on the one hand, we have a lot of stuff that the average CISO and security IT, they got to worry about. But on the other hand, we want to have visibility. We want to know that these exist so we can do something about it basically is kind of what it comes down to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just become it's a world where it's become very difficult to be a generalist anymore because uh, there's just so many different things. You you see people that are going deep in any specific specific areas, right, uh, including, you know, specifically within security. So it's not like my specificity isn't security, it's container security or something like that. Right. It's, it's going deep in this particular area. Complexity is uh, ever increasing today's world. So. We got what, roughly 136,000 individual vulnerabilities that the world at large generally knows about. You just did a combination of authenticated and unauthenticated scans on your infrastructure, did a little bit of static and dynamic testing on some of your applications. You have a list. What is what? How big is that list? What does it look like? The, the answer is whatever it is, it's too big. No. <laughs> right. It's more than you can deal with and likely more than you should deal with um, as, you know, as a CISO and as thinking about all the I've got a limited number of resources that I can go out and remediate, fix things, 
put in new controls, do, you know, invest in detect and response technologies, whatever it is, right? There's limited resources. So how am I going to spend my time and my resources? Um, so I've got this list now. I need to prioritize that list, right? And a lot of factors and, you know, a lot of this is, is, is somewhat what Canada does, so we won't go too deep into it. But, you know, just thinking about how likely is this vulnerability to be exploited? And if it gets exploited, what's the impact? What happens, right? You know, what, what asset is that on? What, what, what happens? Is, is it damaging to my business? Is, is it a relatively non-event or somewhere in between? When you get these lists as well, what are some of the characteristics that are each line item, right? I've never seen a scan output in my life. So, you know, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll count myself thankful. But, uh, you know, what are some of the characteristics that pop out just for people like me who have no idea what these things look like? Well, we'll talk about the 2000s because that was kind of my my world of dealing with this on a regular basis and 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 some of the pain. But it was at that point, it was typically a, a really large PDF report. And when I say really large, I mean, usually like hundreds of pages of vulnerabilities, lists and lists of vulnerabilities, some graph on there that probably says something like a, a pie chart of high, medium and low. Lo and behold, almost everything was a high or a medium. I, uh, almost nothing was a low. And it was, you know, three inches thick. Uh, so dealing with that was not fun for anybody, certainly not for security folks and, and even less so for the, the practitioners that are responsible for patching and remediation. They just, they couldn't consume something like that. Prior to that, I mean, the, you know, if we go back to the nineties, they were pretty small. It was usually probably just a, a file or it could have been, you know, typically it was associated with an engagement, right? So I hired somebody to do a vulnerability assessment or a pen test or a combination thereof. And so it was probably also a PDF. Um, it was probably much thinner than executive summary and things like that. Um, they might have, you know, identified the vulnerabilities and also identified some weaknesses in other areas, some manual assessment work that went into that as well. Um, but you know what, it, it, even if it was thick, I typically I had three months to 12 months to deal with it because I wasn't doing another one of these for a while. Your annual security review. Uh, so if I had to go out and fix a hundred vulnerabilities over 12 months, that sounds like cake now uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, versus every month. Yeah. Although, you know, to fix those vulnerabilities, I probably didn't have much in the way of patch automation and things like that too. So, and, and frankly, where we've also seen a big difference in vulnerability management is patch management and the reliability of those patches. Now there's, there's still, you know, depending on the areas, the tech, if you're doing something to example, Java or some of the Oracle stuff where you're, you've built a whole lot of stuff around it or compiled things around it. That can be pretty scary. It, generally speaking, applying something like a Microsoft patch is, is routine for organizations, but there back in the, in the nineties and the two thousands, there were a whole lot of blue screens of death. <laughs> oh yeah. I can imagine now Microsoft does it for us. Yeah, we don't get yeah. a say in the matter. Yeah. Oh yeah. With the auto updates and windows 10 for sure. Yeah. Okay. So that was old list that if you printed, it would be three inches thick, which I mean, honestly just scares me to death. And, 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 and awesomely enough, everybody printed them. <laughs> oh, Sometimes printing's fun. Old school. Save the trees though. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do those outputs look like today? 
you know, so today they're going into a lot of other systems that are consuming them for the most part, right? You typically don't do a point scan, shoot, print, or a, a report, right? It's it's more of you see a lot more maturity around it. It's more of a continuous process. Maybe I'm scanning these systems every day, every week, whatever, and it's continuously feeding into some uh, some other system, right? That's doing some sort of an analysis on it and doing some sort of prioritization. I might have a separate piece of software that's that's specifically for reporting, or I might you know pipe things into a data warehouse. Things have become much more mature uh, in that respect. So you're doing a lot more of the hey. I'm I'm mining all of this data looking for the stuff that I think I need to remediate quickly. And then I might, you know, a lot of the stuff that's consuming this now are things like ticketing systems and workflow and 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 different things like that. You might even put things into your SOAR to do some sort of auto updating for, for something. So you see a lot of different, there's a whole lot of different technologies after the scan actually happens, right? So the scan, it used to be point, scan, shoot generate a big report, and then hopefully do something most of the time doing very little. <laughs> Back in the day, it was it was kind of a project, right? You do it once a year, maybe once a quarter, if you had the budget, team time, all that good stuff. Nowadays, it's more of a continual process. It's much more operationalized now than it used to be. Okay, so you, you got that list. Uh, back in the early aughts, what, what do you do now? <laughs> What's your process to figure out what you do oh, with that three inch? Cross your fingers, PDF. pray and hope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I mean, I it was a a difficult time and very frustrating. But you know, you were doing a lot of, and I'll speak to my time at at Orbits. Right, we had a team of people on the security team, kind of waiting through this because we talked about authenticated and unauthenticated unauthenticated scans. Right, how many of these were actually real? How many were false positives? The more false positives that you put in front of somebody who's responsible for fixing them, that frustration get goes up really fast to the point where they just start to ignore you. If you you throw them five false positives their way, it's like, I, I don't have time to weed through your report and, and decide if this is legit or not. Um, so there's a whole lot of that that goes down. All right. Now I've whittled that list down to the stuff that we believe is real now. How many of these real things are actually important things? Because I know roughly how much patching and, and remediation work that we can get done in, say, the next 30 days before my next scan, right? So which ones am I going to prioritize? Start to uh, socialize that with the teams that are responsible for patch management, probably kicking it off into ticketing systems or putting in different tickets, things like that, and tracking the remediation workflow. Uh, depending on your organization and how big it is and how much process there is, there could be, you know, change uh, management meetings and all sorts of different things that, that kind of flow along there as well. Jeez. Security's parsing this giant three inch thick printed out list. I would say the most effective security orgs were parsing that out. We we did. I, I would also argue that there's probably a lot that were just kind of dumping and running those PDF reports. And that's where you definitely saw a lot of lack of remediation. So where were they dumping them? IT's desk? Just like, here you go and run like yeah, basically, potato? Hey, here's here's all this. This is ridiculous. Go fix your stuff. <laughs> wow. I'm sure IT love that. Yeah, they, we obviously, you know, we see a lot of that uh, leftover hostility between 
uh, operations and security for things like that. So, I mean, how have things changed today? I know that, you know, we do something very specific on the risk-based VM side of things, but, um, you know, what does that in general look like? How, what are the differences with this more operationalized kind of process? Uh, so a few things, volume, there's a lot more volume today than there ever has been, like we talked about before, not only because, you know, there's a lot more CVEs, there's lots more signatures in the scanners, there's a lot more infrastructure. There's a lot more applications that, that the organizations are dealing with, right? They're, every, everything keeps growing. Nothing, almost nothing ever dies, right? You guys say, oh, well, you know, this, we're, we're not going to patch this thing because it, we've, we've ended life it and, we, you know, we plan on sunsetting it in 12 months. 12 months comes around, it's still there. So the, the, everything keeps growing. So the volume has is significantly increased. However, Everything is also, there's been a lot more automation that's been put in place, uh, not only for the scanning side, uh, but more of kind of the, the workflow side of the house, the processing side of the house, the remediation, the patch management side of the house. So we can remediate more vulnerabilities. And that's the good news. The bad news is that there are a lot more vulnerabilities as well. I know in our recent uh, joint research work that we did with Scientia, right, we talked about how, oh my God, look at how many vulnerabilities are just coming out of the Microsoft platform, but then looking at, oh my God, look at how many are actually getting resolved in the Microsoft platform as well, right? So I'd say that is kind of almost the definition of how this industry has changed, right? We're identifying more, we have a lot more knowledge about what's, what vulnerabilities are out there. We're also remediating a lot more. It's just the volume has gone up significantly on both sides. So uh, you're talking about prioritization to prediction and volume five looked at some of the, I guess, more software based vulnerabilities and showed that um, when vendors themselves were kind of identifying and leading kind of these patching efforts, it was a massive correlating factor to, you know, how quickly and the volume and velocity with which organizations can patch their systems as far as people could see from scan results. From a prioritization standpoint, you know, what would you say is the biggest change? It sounds almost like it was kind of like a shot in the dark in the early aughts, right? Um, were you using anything else? I know uh, CVSS, so a common uh, vulnerability scoring system. When did people kind of start using that as a, as a way to prioritize? Yeah, I don't remember the exact year, but I certainly remember a big push for SCAP, uh, which CVSS is one of the standards that's part of the security content automation protocol. Uh, which came out of NIST, uh, NIST and MITRE, I think, uh, if, if I recall correctly. Um, and I want to say, you know, mid uh, 2005, 2006, 2007, we certainly started to see more of that. I, I don't know the exact year, but roughly that that time frame. Um, and we started even even at my previous employment, right? We started using CVSS to uh, because it certainly was more effective than one using the the kind of the raw scanner score, which was a little bit more brute force, but also because at that point we had multiple assessment tools going on, right? So it made no sense to standardize on a, a specific scanner when we had multiple different scanners that were reporting different things and, and using different rating systems and things like that. Okay. And do you think that's still uh, kind of a common practice right today? CVSS is definitely a common practice today. I would say when, you know, when we're working with our customers or our prospects when they first come in, that's typically more than anything else. They, they would use the, 
BSS to prioritize. Just general trends. We're seeing more. We're figuring out more. There's more scary stuff out there, but we're also being able to, one, have a better process around figuring out which ones to take care of, and then prioritizing workloads, creating more of an operationalized process around that. Now we get into kind of the whole patching side. So, you know, I, I think we already kind of touched on this, right? Um, leaving the, the stack of paper on IT's desk and running. <laughs> What's that like today with some of the, you were talking about some of the other tools and things like that. Uh, and how quickly do teams work together on these? Yeah, I mean, once you see this process fully operationalized, um, it's often, in fact, we, you know, I'll see sometimes where security is kind of taken themselves out of the mix where they've automated a lot of the certainly the, the, the assessment pieces on their side they might come in and do some manual assessments as part of a broader thing or somebody's messing with a, a key component of this application we got to check out how authentication works or something like that but this the general vulnerability management uh scanning process and things like that that's become largely automated by the security team and, and you get to a point where in the, the more mature orgs, where it becomes more of a self-service process, right? So the operations team or the application teams or something like that, hey, we, we're going in, we're, we're uh, understanding our own vulnerabilities that we have. We, we already have some sort of prioritized ranking system to understand what needs to be fixed first, what needs to be fixed second. We start to look at it from a more risk-based approach. And we get that automated and that could go into things like my my automated workflow, my ticketing systems. It could go into, uh, you know, workflow management, SOAR tools. Uh, it might get kicked off right into patch management, depending on environments and whether it's a corporate or something sitting in a data center. But all these things, there's a lot more automation. There's a lot more self-service. And there's a kind of almost near real-time or near real-time visibility into where risk is or where vulnerability risk is across my org. Oh, that's interesting. So you were talking earlier about security being a little more, uh, no more generalist, right? Um, I believe that's how you put it earlier. And so that kind of applies towards, I think you were talking about what application security, some of the IT who's managing that side, um, basically different groups self-serving. So as you get application developers, you know, they can go if they know where some of these vulnerabilities lie, maybe in their code, they can go fix that early on because they're specialists. They know their code. They can do this quickly and easily. Um, same thing with maybe some of the infrastructure people and or, you know, different groups. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I never, never thought about that. Yeah, I was really trying hard not to say shift left anywhere in this podcast, but uh, <laughs> you, it's you a trend word. That, People right? like trend words. It's yeah. fine. Um, it's, it's catching things earlier is, is ultimately what you're trying to do because it's, uh, it becomes a lot faster and a lot cheaper to actually fix those things when you find them early. As you know, things become more process driven, tool driven, little, you know, more confidence, like we talked about in the initial scan data more confidence in the prioritization mechanisms. And now that enables people to actually go in and deal with some of the stuff themselves instead of IT involved very heavily in finding, prioritizing, and then telling other people what they need to work on, basically. That's right. And you can, obviously, if, if you've, you've got to the point where it's so operationalized that it is more of a self-service uh, process, think about all the, the points of complexity that you take out of the process which makes it more streamlined, which makes you able to remediate more and, and, and more quickly. Gotcha. Would you say that that is common today or? 
Uh, that's kind of like I, the I would dream. hesitate to use the common. Uh, it's I wouldn't say it's even a dream. We, we definitely see it, right? Um, but I would say it's the, the the certainly the more mature orgs, right? The kind of the the top performers, if you will. It seems like a pretty radical shift, honestly. And I mean, reflecting back, is there anything else that you would uh, jumps out to you as you know, kind of a big leap forward um, in this whole VM process? Yeah, I mean the 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 fact that we're we're finally after talking about it for 15 plus years uh, of actually being able to measure risk real risk not just severity right um i think that's that's huge um and it really gets you to the point when you can actually start to there's so much data out there now that just didn't exist i remember uh you know at my previous employment and all the industry just complaining about Where's the data, right? We have, we have no data to really make any sort of informed decisions. Uh, if anything, the complaint these days is, oh my God, I'm buried in data. What am I doing with all this? <laughs> um, but, but that's a good thing, right? In, in the sense that yeah, I'm able to actually make real informed data-driven decisions about what I'm doing that's going to lower that risk, right? To understand my likelihood, to understand the, the overall impacts to my, my broader systems. That's that's a big deal. The other thing uh, in, in this is not even just the infrastructure side, but even the, the application side is, is the speed of remediation. Right. Everybody. I remember security being in an uproar when, you know, agile was first being uh, touted and, and used around development organizations. Um, where are we going to have our gates? Where are we going to have our checks? How is it going to be secure? All of this sort of thing. But the 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 good news with all that is if something did get in, my ability to quickly fix it goes from minutes or hours instead of what could have been weeks or months. Um, so my speeds to remediation, if it's critical, uh, is, is greatly increased. We did a nice brief overview if 45 minutes is brief, but uh, I know I got a bunch of really good history of kind of the CVE and NVD uh, background from Portswigger. So I'll make sure to link that on uh, the podcast uh, landing page. We also referenced some of the prioritization of prediction research that we do here. And then I pulled a definition from our kind of blog. So we'll make sure to link all those resources out so you guys can go check it all out on our blog page on kennaresearch.com. I'm Dan Mellinger. Ed, thanks for joining me again. I'll have you back soon. Have a nice day.